The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. We started the series two weeks ago looking at the importance of the Word of God. And this morning we're going to continue. And I want to let you know again that we are going to be starting a new class. Uh, my hope is that the class will happen two times a week. Not that you would go to the class twice a week. The same class offering the same material uh, twice a week so that you have an option of one to pick. Uh, my hope is to have one Sunday mornings at 9.30, so if you're a 9.30 service attender, you might want to mix it up for the series. We'll have a class going on at 9.30, and then another class, the same material, being offered Sunday nights. So you have two options to choose from. If you bring kids to youth group, we're going to do it at the same time as youth group, over there at the same place where youth group is at the uh, Food Line Shopping Center. Buy all that in jazz. We're going to offer a class Sunday nights, helping us dig deeper into the Word of God, the understanding of what it's about and why we have it. And uh, today I'm going to give you a taste of what a class would be like. So um, there's a great company called The Bible Project that has put out some great learning materials, some videos, uh, some great reading plans, and I'm going to give you a taste of what the material is like today as, uh, as our teacher, kind of to whet your appetite. The Word of God is so important. How many of you have a Bible? How many of you have own a Bible? How many of you own more than one Bible? How many of you own so many Bibles it takes up a whole bookshelf? Yeah. Uh, the Bible is, is the most sold book in all of history. And there is, it, it, it's very hard to find any other writing incomparable to the number of copies that have ever existed. And dating back in history, it's, it's one of the oldest documents that exists. There's only a couple other documents that are twice as old as the Bible. It's, it's God's word to us. Two weeks ago, I talked about it as a love letter. I don't know about you, but uh, when I was in high school, middle school, when you got a letter, they were special, uh, especially if it was from a girl that you thought was cute. It was really special then. And I cherished those letters. Sometimes I read them two or three times just to make sure it was actually for me and not for somebody else. Letters are important, and God's letter is, is the most important. And my hope is that we as a church would understand God's letter to us. It, it's a big book. It can be confusing. How do you get into it? Where do you start? And we're, we as a church want to help you dive into all that the Word of God is. The Word of God is special because it is not just a book written by human beings. It was written by over 40 different people. Over a span of 1,500 years, different people hearing uh, divinely through the Holy Spirit from God, writing down, God would say, write this down. And, and people would write on our scrolls words they were hearing from God. And, and that is the beginning of how we have our scriptures today. We're going to get a little bit more into that. There's a lot more to it. But we believe the Bible is divine. We believe that it is powerful and that it transforms us as we get into it. And allow it to get into us, Jesus transforms us through his word. And that is ultimately what it's about. That it would be the fuel for our life. Some have said that the, how do you spell Bible? B-I-B-L-E. Some have said that those letters stand for basic instructions before leaving earth. And we want you to do that. How many of you have ever sat down and opened up your car's owner's manual and just began reading it. Yeah, two of you, exactly. Um, that's how most of us are. 
some of you don't even know that there is an owner's manual in your car. Uh, but, but God's word is our owner's manual for life. And you, you shouldn't just turn to it in an emergency, like when your car tire blows and you need to find a spare tire. How many of you discovered that you don't have a spare tire anymore in your car? Anybody have a car like that? My daughter was driving down to Myrtle Beach to visit us, blows a tire, calls me up, says, okay, I'm, we've practiced this, we've changed the spare tire, she goes, Dad, there's no spare tire. No, every car, your car's brand new, it has a spare tire, I guarantee it, I've never, we've never taken it out, Dad, there's no spare tire. No, just go to the back, let me walk you through this, open up the trunk, Dad, I've already looked, there's no spare tire. Jordan, just FaceTime me, I, I, I'm going to show you. We go to the back, and you know what's back there where a spare tire would be? A can of fix-a-flat. I'm serious. There was a can of fix-a-flat and this, like, inflator, um, you know, uh, electronic air pump, and no spare tire. And I was, like, Googling, like, Chevy, and uh, this is not a bash on Chevy, but why is there no spare tire? And, and to cut down on fuel costs, they're taking away the spare tires away by putting in fix-a-flats instead. She had a blown sidewall, so I don't think the flat was going to work. So anyway, um, a lot of times we only turn to owner's manual when there's an emergency. And how many times is that often the case with us with the Word of God? Something goes wrong. Oh, man, God's not blessing me. I better read this. And, and that's when we go. We want it to be different. We want us, the, the body of Christ, to know the words of Christ. We want God's Word to be in us because it can transform us. Some feel like it's an oppressive and outdated book full of rules that have no modern application for today, but that's just not the truth. Others, they love the Bible, but they don't know where to start. They don't know how to engage it. We want to help you navigate those waters. We want to help you take the journey that God meant for us to be on with him and in his word. And so we think the Bible is worth engaging, so we're going to do what we can to help encourage you, to give you some practical tools. Uh, we're going to offer a couple classes on how to be in the Word, how to study the Word for yourself. Um, and why is it so important? Well, I wanted to just show you a couple videos that the Bible Project has put together, and we're going to show you. And the first one is this. It's called, What is the Bible? Check this out. The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all of humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling. And they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So... There's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand-year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually, they were conquered by the Babylonians, who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land, 
they built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures begin to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible. What's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the Law. That's Israel's five-book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this Second Temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So, this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff, was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news, or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. But what did the early Christians think of the other Second Temple literature? Well, different groups had different views about some of these books, but we know they read them and valued these texts because they passed them along with the Jewish scriptures. Okay, so we've got the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. we got these other Second Temple period works. Then the writing of the apostles about Jesus. And that's a lot of literature, so what's in my Bible? So the Christian movement has taken different forms over 2,000 years, and from the beginning, all Christians recognized the Tanakh and the New Testament as scripture. And for centuries, much of the Second Temple literature was read as part of the biblical tradition. The Catholic Church eventually made it official and called some of the books from this collection the Deuterocanonical books. Some Orthodox churches used even more books from this Second Temple literature. And then in the 1500s, during the Reformation, Protestant Christians wanted to go back to the oldest writings of the prophets and apostles, so they accepted only the Old and New Testaments. Okay, I think I got it. But how does a collection of books produced over a thousand years by all these different authors tell one unified story? Yeah, that's the question we'll address in our next video. So by next video, it's not going to be shown today. You'll have to come to the class to get the next one. We will dive in, though, and today I want to give you three ways to help us engage in God's Word. Three practical tips and tools that each of us can use if we want to dig deeper. And my hope is that 
uh, each and every one of us would want to know our God deeper. We'd want to draw closer to him. Paul, as he was uh, raising up others, there was a young man named Timothy who he was pouring into. And he wrote Timothy a couple letters that are found in our Bible. From the first letter, the first book of Timothy, chapter 4, verse 13, Paul gives us one of the first things that we should do to engage the Bible. It says this in verse 13 of chapter 4. It says, until I come again, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. If you have your Bible and you've turned there, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, re-underline those words, public reading of Scripture. Public reading of Scripture is different than what we're doing this morning. Today I am teaching. Today there's not a lot of public reading going on. I'm reading in public, but this is more what is called teaching. Um, if I were to be teaching in a different style, you could call that preaching or exhortation. Um, but what Paul is specifically talking about is a tradition that started back, in, according to that video, with the oldest of times when God was telling the prophets, here are the words I'm giving you. Moses was one of the first persons that God ever said, here is what I'm about to do. Write this down so you'll never forget it. And go and tell the nation of Israel. And so Moses did just that. He would write down the, uh, the first five books of the Bible are written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all written by Moses to be read to and shared with the people of Israel and for us as well today. Until I come again, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, also to preaching and to teaching. These are three different things. And the first thing that we can do as a people is to read the Bible together. There are ways that we can do this in our culture today. You can do it by joining a community group. How many of you would say you're a part of a community group today? Pretty regular. Good. A good, good number of you. If you haven't yet found a way to engage with others who are on this journey with you, I would encourage you to consider joining a community group. We've got a number that meet throughout the week. You might join a Sunday morning class where you're reading uh, public word together. Uh, you might even just form a small group, you and a couple friends, maybe at work or at school. I remember when I first started reading the Bible, uh, really seriously, I was about a sophomore in high school, and I would meet with a couple other friends at school, and we would read the Bible together in the cafeteria. I would encourage you, find a couple people in your life that you could read together with. Why should we do this? The reading of, of the Bible in community does a couple things. One, it helps us to see the text in new light. A lot of times if you're reading on your own, you're left to your own interpretation and understanding. You might hit confusing parts that don't make any sense, and you're left asking yourself. I mean, sure, yeah, you can pray to God and the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. But if you're in a setting where other people are along that journey reading the same text, God may share with them insight that he doesn't, hasn't yet shared with you. And so you have an opportunity to engage with others, to share your thoughts, to share your questions, and you're openly having a dialogue the passages that you're reading together. Another thing that's good about reading publicly and committing to being a part of a group is, is it can eliminate distractions. I don't know how many of you have ever had this happen, but you decide January's here, I'm going to make a new resolution, I'm going to read the Bible each day. And you start reading and the first couple days are fine, but then urgent matters press in. You get distracted. Little things happen and you forget where you left off. Uh, I guess I'll try again. And so we can be distracted. When you're in community, it's almost like getting a workout partner. 
You guys ever had a workout partner, someone to cheer you on, someone to say, okay, count your sets and your reps for you, keep you on track, encourage you, motivate you on. The same kind of thing can happen when you commit yourself to being a part of a community where you're reading the Word of God together. And then, last of all, when we read together, and we're not just inserting our own interpretation, we're allowing good discussion to happen, and we're we're seeking advice and wisdom from those who may understand a little bit more than us. And the Bible is free to then shape us instead of us shaping in our thoughts and ideas. And we can open ourselves up to allow it to shape us. This is a practice that the nation of Israel has been doing from the beginning. Here's a little video that gives a taste of what public reading is like in the Old Testament. I was reading the Bible, which kind of hard to do, but I came across this verse that says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Yeah, this is in Paul's letter to Timothy, a young pastor, and he's telling him about ways that he can keep his church community engaged with scripture. Okay, so preaching the Bible I get, teaching from the Bible I get that too, but what about this reading scripture together thing? Is that something I'm supposed to care about? Why did Paul think it was so important? Oh man, for Paul, this was a really significant practice for the people of God. Think all the way back to Mount Sinai, where the Israelites were just rescued from Egypt. They're no longer slaves, and they need a new identity, a new story to live by. So Moses, he gathers the people together, and he reads the scriptures aloud. He reminds them of where they came from, who they are, and the new future that they're called to live in. This was the first public reading of scripture in the Bible. Yeah, and it didn't stop there. When the people finally got into the land, they did it again. Joshua pulled the people together, and they all listened to the scriptures read aloud so they could remember where they came from and how they could keep living as a part of this new story. So this is something they did all the time, then? Well, actually, no. After Joshua died, we don't have any more stories of the people coming together to hear God's word. Instead, the people forgot their story, and a whole generation arose that didn't know their God or what God had done for them. But then, centuries later, a king named Josiah rediscovered the scriptures, and he was so excited that he called Israel to begin this practice once again. It sparked a renewal movement. That is, until the people forgot once more, and they ended up in exile. And so this is why, when Ezra and Nehemiah came back from the exile, they needed to remind the people who they are and how they are to live. So this is a powerful practice. Yeah, in fact, reading scripture together became a core part of Jewish life. It was done every week as they gathered in synagogue. Jesus himself participated in this practice. He even launched his mission during the weekly reading of the scriptures. He read from the scroll of Isaiah, and then he told everyone these words were about him. And that brings us all the way back to the early church, where Paul told Timothy to keep this practice going, to immerse the whole community in the story of the scriptures. Yeah, but here's the thing. Most people back then didn't know how to read, so they had to do it publicly. But I can read the Bible by myself. Yeah, and you should totally do that. But don't underestimate the power of this ancient practice. Reading the Bible by yourself can be hard. It can be easy to get distracted. But something happens when you hear God's word read aloud and when you're with other people. And besides, it's really easy. You don't need anyone to preach or teach. You just need to listen to the scriptures and then talk about what you've heard. This is what God's people have always done when they enter into new and uncertain times. They remember their story and who they are through the public reading of the scriptures.
one thing that we don't want to repeat is the forgetting. In the book of Exodus, God says the role here for the scriptures is not just for you to know who I am, but as we read and understand the scriptures, we learn our role, our purpose, our identity. In Exodus 19, verse 5, God said, although the whole earth is mine, you, my chosen people, will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation set apart. Moses was told these words. These words, you, Moses, are to speak to the Israelites. But as we saw in that video, it wasn't long before Moses passed the words on to Joshua. Joshua died and the nation of Israel neglected the word of God. They forgot him and they drifted away from understanding who God is and who their role is. But the encouragement has been from the beginning that we would be a people of the word and that it wouldn't just be something that happened once a week in a synagogue or once a week in a church today, but that the word of God would be a normal part of your family. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, the encouragement is here. It says, do not forget the things that you have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live, but instead teach them to your children and to your children after them, their children after them. So moms and dads, how much time are you spending in your own family teaching your children the Word of God? Moms and dads, those of you who are grandparents, you even have a role there to pour into your little ones and their little ones to help them understand who God is and as important God has called them to be. So that is the public reading of Scripture. Number two, the next way that we can engage in the Word of God, besides just joining a community group or a Bible reading club or, or getting a part of a small group of other Christians reading together, is, is while reading the Word of God publicly is good, we should also read it alone. Take time to pull away, and your second blank set of blanks there is meditate on the Bible in private. And what do we mean by the word meditation? In the book of Psalms alone, the word meditation appears over 20 times. It's something that God means important. This morning, as Nathan was leading us in a time of worship, he used the word, if you don't know these songs, look at the words and meditate on them. Meditate means to chew on. To It, it doesn't mean to just empty your mind of everything, uh, uh, saying and, uh, mindless, empty mantras. Instead, it is us filling ourselves with the Word of God. And so what is a great thing to do is to find a piece of Scripture and read it and reread it. Try to insert yourself into the context. If there's somebody writing it and they're writing a, 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 something that sounds sorrowful, try to place yourself in their shoes so you can try to understand what it is and why they're feeling it. Insert yourself in it. Read through it. Reread it. A great thing that my brother started doing in, uh, in junior high is Gary would start reading the Word of God out loud to himself. And I would come home at times, nobody else was in the house, and I'd walk in and I'd hear the Word of God being uttered from his bedroom. He would read it over and over again to help himself understand it, hearing it as his own voice, reading it out loud, a form of meditation. And my encouragement is that each of us would find a way to not just quickly read through scriptures, oh, check the box, that passage is done today, close and go on, but that we would take time to slowly pace ourselves in the word, asking ourselves questions, 
in terms of Bible reading, meditation is the practice of entering into the text by reading it and rereading it aloud, allowing it to speak to us in such a way that we listen and truly hear it. We fix and order our minds around the text, reading and rereading until key words or phrases or ideas jump out of the page at us. Then we chew on these words and ideas and begin to form questions that lead us to a deeper understanding and deeper reflection. This causes us to slow down and experience the text in a way that affects our hearts and minds in love with God. My hope is that you are engaging in community, reading the Bible with others, but also on a daily, regular basis that you are learning to eat at God's word at home, finding your own time, finding a Bible reading plan that makes sense to follow. And in the class we'll be doing together, I'm going to I'm going to give you a couple easy plans. Uh, you might even have some Bibles that in the back or the front have a, an appendix with suggested Bible reading plans. There are many great ways of formalizing the plan, but most importantly, not just reading the plan to check a box, but to allowing God's Word to really get into you by meditating on it. Meditation has been something that didn't start with Eastern mysticism. It's not something that um, you have to do yoga in order to meditate right. It's something that began in the past, with all of us. And here's a little video about Jewish meditation. So the Bible is a collection of books written in different literary styles, like narrative, poetry, and prose. And most of us are familiar with these kinds of literature. Yeah, we all know a narrative when we see one, like The Hunger Games or The Great Gatsby. And most people can recognize poetry, whether it's Walt Whitman or the songs of Bob Dylan. And every day we're surrounded by prose and news articles or essays. Now, all of these examples are modern American literature in that it came from this time period and this region of the world. But there's also medieval English literature from another place in time, or ancient Greek writings from this place in time. So each time period and culture produces its own unique kind of literature. And in order to read the Bible well, we need to keep in mind that it comes from this part of the world and was produced in this basic period of time. So what's unique about ancient Jewish literature? Well, a key feature is that it lacks a lot of the details that modern readers have come to expect in stories and poems. And this makes it seem really simple. But actually, it's very sophisticated literature. Every detail that is given matters. And that's great, but the lack of detail means that stories are often loaded with ambiguities. I mean, take one of the first stories, Adam and Eve in the Garden. Where did this talking snake come from? And why did God allow him there? Why didn't Adam and Eve die on the spot like God said they would? And who's this offspring of the woman who will destroy the snake but is bitten by it? Yeah, so many puzzles in this story. And some of these are questions that we have and that are not important to what the author is focusing on. But some of these ambiguities are intentional. Intentional? Won't that lead to bad interpretations, people filling in the gaps with their own answers? Well, that's a risk the biblical authors took in writing this way. We all tend to impose our own cultural assumptions onto the Bible, but they apparently thought the risk was worth it. These oddities are really invitations into an adventure of reading and discovery. What do you mean? Well, for example, the strange promise about the offspring of the woman crushing and being bitten by the snake. That word offspring is a clue pay attention to genealogies, which, lo and behold, run all through the biblical narrative. 
They trace the lineage from Eve all the way to King David and his offspring. And in the New Testament, Jesus is connected to the offspring of this royal line. Now, when you read the prophets, Isaiah connected this king to the suffering servant who would die on behalf of his people. And then, in the book of Revelation, there's this symbolic vision. And can you guess? It's about a woman and her offspring. It's Jesus and his followers who conquer the dragon by giving up their lives. Yeah, so each part of the story there is loaded with ambiguities, but altogether, it makes sense. And this is the literary genius of the Bible. It forces you to keep reading and then interpret each part in light of the others. This is feeling complicated. I don't know if I can do all that. Well, you're actually not expected to notice all of this by yourself or all at once. This dense way of writing forces you to slow down and then read carefully, embarking on this interactive discovery process through the whole biblical narrative over a lifetime of reading and rereading. Ah, okay. Meditation literature. Yeah, in Psalm 1, we read about the ideal Bible reader. It's someone who meditates on the scriptures day and night. In Hebrew, the word meditate means literally to mutter or speak quietly. The idea is that every day for the rest of your life, you slowly, quietly read the Bible out loud to yourself. And then go talk about it with your friends, pondering the puzzles, making connections, and discovering what it all means. And as you let the Bible interpret itself, something remarkable happens. The Bible starts to read you. Because ultimately, the writers of the Bible want you to adopt this story as your story. So this ancient Jewish writing style, it must create unique types of narrative and poetry in this verse. Yes, and we'll explore all of those literary styles starting next with biblical narrative. Another class video. So come check it out. So we had, first of all, the public reading. We had, second of all, the private reading and meditation of Scripture. And the third thing that we need to learn to do involves prayer, responding to the Bible in prayer. This is different than uh, reading the Bible and then praying about whatever it is got in your mind. This is entering the text that is given and praying through it, allowing the text itself to lead you in your prayers. As a bit of an example, I've given you a passage of Scripture that I often pray through for myself. They're under point three in your notes. If you have notes, you can turn there. If not, this is found in Psalm chapter 119, verses 9 through 16, if you have your own Bible. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. The entire psalm is the reflection of the importance of God's word in our life. As Christian believers, as followers of Jesus, we have to know and understand what God's word is. And it's important for a number of reasons. And as we enter into the text and not just reading through it quickly, but we allow ourselves to meditate on it, thinking through it, understanding it deeper, and then allowing it to form us talking back to God, you begin to pray through the text. In Psalm 119, if you have your notes there, I would enter it in a way such as this. I might be sitting there reading on my own, How can a young man, a young person, stay on the path of purity? I would allow those words to influence me in my thoughts, in my own life. God, how can I live the right kind of life? How can I live a life of purity? And I would begin to allow that to form an ongoing prayer. As I'm reading, I'm talking to God. How can a young man stay on a path of purity? God, I pray this for myself. Help me to stay on the path of purity, Lord. 
child comes to you. The answer there is then given by living according to your word. God, forgive me for not living more in your word. Help me to understand it. Help me to dedicate myself to reading it more. I will seek you with all my heart. God, help me to put you first above all things. That the first thing in my heart would be to seek you. Do not let me stray from your commands. God, there are areas in my life where I do stray. Things that I know that you've said that I shouldn't do. Help me to stay in line with your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, this is my prayer. Would you allow me to remember the things that I read? Would you help me to memorize the things that you've said? When times of temptation come, you would bring those words back to my mind that I might not sin against you. And I would go verse by verse in a particular passage. What is beautiful about the book of Psalms is they were written to be sung or prayed. And there's several Psalms. If you're doing a Bible reading plan, many of them will lead you to read a Psalm a day. And my encouragement is that you would begin using the Psalms as a great place for praying to the Word of God. The reading of praise, praying, talking back to God. God, how should this be? Not just reading a prayer, and then God help me to accomplish this today. Reading a passage, God, I pray for my cat. Help me to get better. <laughs> anyway, so um, allowing the text to form how we pray. Three easy ways, but often neglected ways. Spending time reading the Bible with others. Spending time meditating on the Word in private. And spending time Three ways that if we commit ourselves and devote ourselves, we will see God's word come into true transformations. And that's my hope for us. We're going to be a church that continues to serve the community. We're going to be a church that does a lot of great things outside of these walls and to be a blessing to our neighbors. But it all needs to be built on the foundation of spending time in the word of God and allowing Jesus to be in it and lead us and lead us in it. As our worship team comes, I'm going to lead us in and my hope is that on your on your um, on your seats today, I have a piece of paper that I put out two weeks ago, and it's a commitment sheet, and it's basically uh, Jesus saying you had Mary and Martha, two sisters. Martha was doing dishes, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing him teach. And Martha got upset and said, "Jesus, why are you allowing her just to sit there and hear from you, and she's not helping me?" And Mary said, Jesus said to she has chosen the most important thing. Serving and doing dishes is important, and there are times for it. But have we spent time sitting at the feet of Jesus? My hope is that we would dedicate ourselves to be the people who truly takes time to sit at Jesus' feet, to be in his word, to allow his word to shape us and lead us in the ways we serve, in the ways that we live, in the ways that we pray. Spending time with him is very important. God, I pray for each of us here. Pray that you'd lead us to make the commitments that you want us to make, whether that is to make a new commitment of, of dedicating ourselves again to you. Um, and maybe there are some here who don't really even understand what it means to be a child of God. Lord, your scriptures tell us that in order for us to be a child of God, we aren't just born. Yes, you made each and every one of us. But to truly be a child, we have to dedicate ourselves to you. We have to call on you as Savior and Lord. We have to believe that you 
you are the God who made the heavens and the earth. We have to believe that you made us and have a purpose for us. And ultimately, we have to believe that your son came to die in our place. Your scriptures tell us that each of us are born with sin in our hearts. And that sin separates us from you. And that the only way that we can be reunited with you is by the forgiveness that your son offers being accepted by us. So God, I pray that if there is someone in this room who's never called out to you as, as Father, as Savior, that they would do so now saying, God, forgive me for, for me trying to live life on my own. Forgive me for the mistakes I've made, the sinful things that I do. Come into my life and forgive me. Thank you that you went to a cross in my place. The scriptures say that when Jesus went to the cross, every sin that had ever been committed by you, by me, by all who have not even lived here, they were placed upon Christ. Christ bore our sins. He who never sinned became sin in our place. He offered up his life, offering up forgiveness to whoever we would seek. And the Bible says that if we confess that we are sinners, and we put our faith and trust in him as our Savior, that he will give us his righteousness in exchange for our sins, and he will forgive us and wash us white as snow. If you've never called out to him for his forgiveness, if you've never asked him to come into your life to be your Savior, you can do that right now, right now. Just call out to him and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Come into my life and make me new. Show me what it means to follow you. For those of you that are in this room that have called out to him, many of us, we've been born again, the scriptures say. But many of us were like newborn babes still spiritually. We don't know his word. We don't know how to read his word. In the book of Hebrews, we're challenged to go from milk to meat. Instead of being like nursing infants, we need to go on to deeper understanding, deeper truth, understanding and need of him. And my hope and prayer is that by committing to reading his word daily, by committing to being a part of public reading of scriptures with others in a class or a community group, and we want to help you do that. So God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would lead us today to take those next steps. Help us to, to have the strength and the ability to follow through and the commitments that you want us to worship team is about to lead us in a time of response and reflection. And my hope is that you would look over that sheet that you have there today and that you would consider what it is, the next step that God wants you to take. You could check that box, fill out that sheet, and turn it in because I, as your pastor, would love to pray over you, to pray for you, and to encourage you to be connected and to get deeper into God's Word. And don't feel like a failure if you miss a day here and there. It's not about checking a box. It's about you starting a relationship with your God who loves you and you just continuing to grow deeper in him. All of this is possible because years ago Jesus came and he came to reconcile us to the Father. On the night before he was arrested, before he went to the cross, he took a piece of bread as we do often. And he said, as often as you eat of this bread, remember what I've done for you. My body will be broken for you. As often as you eat of this body, remember what I've done for you. He then took a cup, and he, he uh, said, As often as you taste of this cup, remember my blood shed for you. 
forgiveness of your sins. If you know God as Father and Savior, we invite you to come up and partake in communion as you think and pray through the next steps needing to be made. If you want to pray about any of this, we have prayer teams in the back ready to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you here at the front. If you're making a commitment to God, that changes the commitment of today. I'd love to celebrate with you the steps that God is leading you to take. Father God, move among us now, we pray. Thank you for your word. Give us an appetite and a desire for it. In your name we pray. Amen.